Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA student podcast. I'm Connor and I'm once again here remotely with Alan. Hello. This week on the show, we'll be telling you all about our new exam question masterclass series and why we think it's the key ingredient to helping students pass their exams. We also look at recent news stories on the food delivery industry before getting to this week's student question. So, Alan, we are recently in the throes of our new exam question masterclass series, and you've actually just come from doing one of the live sessions. So, yes. straight um, out of the frying pan into the fire. Into in terms the fire. Of, this is easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I suppose, you know, now that we've kind of got them started and it's great already, we've had lots of students on live. We've the first ones up on the on students' course pages. Um, but I suppose we just wanted to maybe spread the word a bit about how we've landed on doing these, why we think they're important, what exactly they are, and kind of the benefits that, that students can get. Um, so I suppose just as a starting point for um, the exam masterclass, this is something that we, um, there are sessions that we'll be running each week, we'll be doing different subjects, different weeks, um, but each week we'll be hosting a number of masterclasses across different subjects. And really what these are, are very exam focused, the tutor that's taking them will be taking you through one of the most recent ACCA exam questions, um, how you should approach it using the CPE, uh, the CBE template, how you navigate it, and taking you through that solution. And we'll be answering live questions as we go, but it's it's really designed to, you know, be very question focused and take you through all those skills and the technical knowledge you need to have from when you open a CBE question to getting to your solution. Would you say that's an appropriate quick no, quick that, fire that, summary? That's a quick summary. I think I open up each of the ones that I do, uh, like this morning. I would say it's a combination of, as well, it's like there's the CBE tool that's there for the exam, and then there's practicing exam questions. I think it's a very unique thing that we're doing to allow students to look from one to the other. So they're actually looking at a at a question being constructed on this CBE tool and it really and I, I finish it by saying like now you look at my solution now we're, we're done that's a, a question done whatever size marks now that's what you have to hit that's the level you have to target um, and I think it's a it, it's a little bit like those skills won't come overnight so it's really important to start practicing and, and I think I remind them all the time that we're unofficially because we can't do it officially banning pen and paper from <laughs> from most from most students i think yeah um, what one of the things that i um really like about them and about the idea and how we came to them is you know very often it's it's difficult for lecturers to put themselves in the shoes of students and i think students can often find that and they think oh well it's very different in the exam and i think it's very easy for you know tutors to to kind of be able to say, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that, to show even those ACCA model solutions, but it's not practical. And I think what we're trying to show here is, okay, I'm in the same position as you, we're going through these questions, and this is the approach that I would take. This is what I would do to get to that passing answer. And, you know, if if we can show that in these masterclass sessions, and people can, as you said, develop those skills, which will take time, but mm -hmm. it certainly starts to take a, 
I suppose a bit of the maybe maybe some of the fears that that people have about these questions they seem quite daunting. It takes that away. It shows you there's a process, and it shows you that within the time you'd have, you know, you can get to that model solution. You can get to hitting close to full marks, but it's it's really just understanding how you need to approach those. Well, and I guess we have the same fears because, like, in a funny way, we're kind of putting ourselves out there and we're kind of doing this because nobody else is doing it, and and. I know most lecturers would say, here's the content, now go practice the questions. Um, but like it's new for us, and I think as we're finding our way through it, we're going to find little um, tips and tricks that you could use um, in order to, to make the spreadsheet more efficient. Um, but it is equally as new for us as it is for the students. And I think what we're showing is that it's kind of not to be afraid of it and that it doesn't have to be perfect it's not. It's not. Um, it's not all about getting perfection on the day. It's still about laying it out in such a way that the examiner can as quickly as possible give you the maximum amount of marks. Uh, and I do, after doing a couple of questions, and especially the one from this morning, I do think it's quicker than pen and paper. I really do. I think using the formulas, using the spreadsheet properly with a bit of practice, the the the. Word processor kind of does the layout for yourself because you've got bold, you've got underline, and you've got normal writing. It kind of it kind of sets it up for you quite perfectly. You don't have to spend much time worrying about it. You don't have to go through and underline the important points in red and all these things that students do. It's just, if you take actually a really simple logical approach to it, I, I really do think that the CPE template is will be quicker than a written exam. Yeah, and I think what's great about these is that we you know, as you said, we're learning more and more as we go through them. And it's kind of confirming a lot of the things that we would have said to people before about how, you know, the more comfortable and familiar you are with the CBE tool, the better you'll be able to perform when you have less time that you're trying to figure out things on that, you've more time to focus on the question and getting your answer down. Um, And how, as you said, it, it lends itself to being more professional, because you're, replicating your answer in a more kind of work-like format um, it's easier to structure a word document with headings it's easier to keep it neat your calculations in the spreadsheet so all of that these are benefits that you can slowly start to confirm yourself the more exposed you are to it and it's certainly i think for both of us shown us you know you can get a really good professional answer down um very quickly and you, you know i've found particularly the kind of planning side of planning out questions as you work through scenario, being able to copy bits across, being able to take information from different exhibits, you know, that really starts to lay out your answer. And on certainly on the two audit ones that I'd done, um, what I was really trying to show students is as you work through the reading through the scenarios and taking those bits of information and adding little notes into that um, the word processor yourself, by the time you finish going through all the information, you've actually structured your whole answer out. And then it's just a case of fleshing that out and convert, uh, converting that into a more professional format, um, which will land you at that, you know, that passing answer. So I think we're seeing a lot of those benefits in practice. And it, by doing it in that hands-on way, you know, it really does put us best suited to, to really give good advice to the students. Yeah, and I think the, the one thing I think it stops as well you won't find yourself, I don't think students will find themselves writing as much, I'm hoping, typing. Because I think you're more aware when you're typing about the amount of content you're putting on a page where you could find yourself um, 
kind of coming across like we look at the M&M model this morning and you can find yourself saying, okay, they're asking about the M&M model. I need to tell them all about it, all the background, all the advantages, all the disadvantages, all the theory. And I think people, when they have a pen in their hand, find that they just kind of, their brain takes over automatically and they write. I do think because it's a, it looks and feels a little bit more formal, there's a little bit more thought involved about um, the content you put on. And hopefully if you can, and, I, and that's what I've been recommending, it's about putting less content that's more relevant. And if you can make sure all your points are relevant, you'll do, do really well in this because the ideally when you're doing a calculation or when, or when you're doing both calculation and let's say a recommendation, the exam, imagine the examiner opening up the, the word processor and the, um, the, the Excel sheet um, beside each other. And then being able to see your recommendations and on the right or left hand side, they can see all your calculations backing up those recommendations. And they're just looking from one screen to the other and saying, this makes perfect sense. Whereas if you can imagine in a paper exam, you kind of have your report on one page, you have your appendices on the other page, you're trying to flick backwards and forwards or scrolling down because they get them scanned in. If you really think about, about it, uh, and again, think from the examiner perspective, you can really get a lot more marks and, and really kind of limit your word count. If you kind of go in from the perspective of not writing a lot and just getting the main points down, you'll do well with this template. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think um, before we just finish up on this, I, I did want to talk a bit about how we, I suppose, landed on doing these sessions and, and how we realized, you know, they'd be of such value to students. And from there, we realized we, we really had to, to commit to it because we did see a lot of value. But you know, when um, myself and Alan were going through a lot of the examiner reports, the, the most recent examiner reports, and we'd seen some of these trends before, but it, it really hit home the consistent examiner comments that were coming out, um, which, you know, to kind of summarize are that people shouldn't be rote learning answers, which they're still doing. They need to get better at applying it to the particular scenario in a question. Um, they need to practice and get more comfortable with the CVE. And finally, that they need to practice recent questions. And we were thinking, you know, how often do we, we tell students this? How do we hit this home? And the the best way we've found that we can hit all of those points is by doing these masterclass sessions, going through these recent questions, which show the CBE, but making it very focused to that question. So we're, we're just thinking in the context of the question and the scenario that we're encountering. And that's what takes you away from rote learned answers. And that's what teaches you about how you can apply it and use the CBE. So, you know, we, we really do think in terms of what the examiner is looking and recommending you know, we're trying to, to hit those key points. And I think if you look at those, the solutions we're doing, so let's say you do, as a student, you're doing audit, you'll start um, you'll start seeing commonality. So whether you're doing a 50-mark question or a 25-mark question, it doesn't really matter. There'll be commonalities with, like, layout and how you put the question together, how you construct the question, the amount you kind of write for the marks available. And I think... Whereas kind of in a class or on a board or even us using PowerPoint slides, it doesn't give you, you can't imagine as a student how it looks on a page. Uh, but I think because you can imagine how it looks on a page, you can sit there and think no matter what the question, you can kind of go, I remember watching Connor doing an order question and it was for 25 marks and he only had 10 lines. Now, why am I thinking about writing 50 or 60? So the fact that you can you can visualize 
um, what a solution looks like. And if you can imagine, if you're doing audit and you look at Connor doing a 25 mark question for audit, like every 25 mark question is going to be of similar amount of words. It's going to be of similar layout. It's going to look the same. It's just the content's going to be a little bit different. The construction of it is going to be relatively similar in the in the process that you take from going from the, the requirements from the content provided to what the answer looks like. So the great advantage is, is now that you can kind of go, okay, for 25 marks, I kind of roughly know how many lines I need and what kind of layout is required. And I think that's the that's invaluable because then that can be applied to any topic within that subject. Yeah, so I, I really do think, you know, that's where, as you said, the benefit is. It's understanding that approach and process of working through that gets you to that, you know, realistic model solution. So if you like the sound of, of everything we've talked about there with our exam question masterclass series, that is available to all members. So each week um, on a Saturday, you'll get your weekly members newsletter, which will give you links and the times for the masterclass sessions that are happening the following week. And if you're not currently a full member, but you'd like to get involved in these, if you just upgrade your account, you'll have access to any previous masterclass sessions. And from becoming a full member, you can access all future ones. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for extra content, important news, live streams, study tips, and much more. So, Alan, the story this week is all centered around the food delivery industry. And I actually had a a bit of a double take on this headline because um, it's saying that European Food Delivery Group Just Eat Takeaway has agreed to buy US rival Grubhub in a deal that's for $7.3 billion. And... It's Why usually I the other way this, around, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I'd I'd seen recently, I said, I thought Uber had just bought Grubhub, but as it transpired in the, um, in the article, Uber and Grubhub had failed their potential merger because of scrutiny. Someone else mm. is trying to buy this. Um, you know, they talk about this deal will create the biggest um, food delivery company outside of China, where they've takeaway.com. Um, and it's really looking at kind of combining these um, two big companies to, I suppose, try and monopolize this sector. But what's very interesting about this industry, um, and it's similar to kind of the the taxi sharing industry, things like the regular Uber app and, um, you know, we've my taxi here, there's all these different companies, is that they're actually kind of loss-making industries that rely on getting to a monopoly stage. So people run at these huge losses and they fight for kind of territory. It's almost like they're fighting for different territory. They're running at losses and they're trying to just become the biggest. Um, So what's interesting here, Uber, we're obviously trying to do that now, just either trying to get in there and and, um, take over this company. And it's it's something that a a lot of analysts have said is long overdue that, this food delivery industry, you know, the money they put in to gain and retain customers that eventually some of these are going to have to be consolidated to be sustainable. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And they, their models don't need competition in, yeah. in a funny way. And, uh, and the last thing these companies need is to be competing on a price basis because their their margins are not huge they're it's based on traffic and, and as you said the only way to really succeed is being being the number one and if there is a number two that number two is so irrelevant that you're so clearly the you have an effective monopoly if not an actual monopoly depending on on, on the country because it really is it's a it's a gamble industry really isn't it when you think about it yeah it's kinda, you're spending a lot of money and you're getting a lot of investment 
but there's nothing to say that you won't be the biggest and there's nothing to say that the biggest won't want to pay you whatever 703 million to take you over or 7.3 billion to take you over like and if you're one of those ones that aren't an attractive takeover option and aren't the number one you put a lot of effort and a lot of and then you're kind of looking now and you think okay well we were kind of making progress and now we have this mega giant in Europe and the US kind of coming together um it's kind of what happened in kind of with bookmakers and gambling with the 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 combining of a lot of, it's it really is needed in an industry but there's a lot of small companies who will probably suffer because of it as well yeah and i think again what's interesting about this industry and it does um you know it does come under a lot of fire because most of these companies they kind of have this gig economy treatment of their workers who are paid kind of pittance um you know they they are they're funny industries that um you know even at the moment i i saw some stats that so you would presume that um lockdown and restaurants closed would lend itself to much higher traffic for these companies and you know certainly um you see a lot of them out but actually at the moment um they say that the the for just eat and uber eats they saw a drop in their average daily users of up to 23 percent in march um, mm. and they're actually seeing they've seen over the last couple of months lower usage because companies um which i was surprised like mcdonald's kfc that were closed they're the biggest things that food these people get their their food delivered mm. from so it's kind of one of these industries that is making a loss and you think well surely now is the time or if not now when is there going to be their golden age but they're actually struggling i know deliveroo has had to cut about 15 percent of their workforce and um, so they are struggling companies they're kind of the governance of them and the way they treat workers is funny so it is generally a, a strange industry but i suppose people are looking at it if they can just become the, the main player they stand to have um i suppose the best gains but that in the the short or even medium term just doesn't have a great effect for either company because they're just they're kind of burning through shareholder cash yeah and it's interesting with the delivery thing because i think any other industry that provides deliveries has probably uh, probably had like many Christmases or major Christmases over the last few months um, for anything else that you get delivered. But it, it's an interesting point. It's not that they couldn't deliver them. It's because there's nowhere open in order to produce what they deliver. Uh, and I guess I, I never actually thought about it like that until reading this article today, you, you, because there's lots of other articles about delivery companies and how they're hiring people and they're nearly borrowing vans to deliver the amount of, of deliveries that they have. But it's really interesting. It's the, the, this is one of those knock-on effects going the other way, that if the food places are closed down, then the delivery work isn't there. And, and it's just, there's a lot of panic then. As you said, the treatment of the employees is not um, top-notch, shall we say, yeah. in a lot of these companies. And therefore, like these people are... are are dropped in a heartbeat, I'm sure, when this is happening. Um, yeah. And there's things about some of them, they're working for themselves, so they're not getting a phone call to pick up something. They're, they're not getting income. And it's a, it's a really tough, it's a tough industry to work in. Um, and I'm not too sure, I think that's where employees will lose out. I'm not too sure that the uh, uh, amalgamation of all these companies is going to have, be a long-term success for the employee. Try us for free by registering for a basic plan on LearnSignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams.
So, Connor, we had a question um, this week, I guess, coming up to some of the exams in July and September. Um, students concerned um, that they've fallen behind on their study plan. Yeah, so this is something I, I've talked about um, a bit on the weekly webinar. And, you know, it's something we've, we regularly talk throughout the, the sitting. It's all about reassessing, taking stock, you know, making a plan for the remainder of time um, and getting back on track and something that's that's realistic. But the kind of two pieces of advice I'd give, um, firstly, for anyone who's preparing for September, you know, if you'd let the last few weeks get away from you, you haven't really got started. We've actually updated and released our 12-week September study plan, which are up on your course pages now. Um, so, you know, as we said a couple of months ago, and, and people probably didn't believe us when they cancelled those June exams, was that it was quickly going to come around that we'd fall back into the normal September 12-week cycle. So if you found that you, you hadn't got going or you're only getting started now, it's really important that you download that plan and you use that to work towards the exams and, and you stick to that. So you kind of have a second chance to get that plan and get things going for September. For anyone who has been um, preparing for July exams, we will be starting our boot camp for that next week. And I think the key is is really to just get involved with that and try catch up on the maybe other areas that you've fallen behind. But the big thing we always say is is don't um, leave practicing questions out because you're so focused on finishing every little nook and cranny of the um, content. It's really important, you know, doing something like bootcamp helps you incorporate those questions into your study and you can use that as a framework to, to catch up on areas you've fallen behind. But I think that the biggest thing with anything to do with study plans is just look at the time you have available um, up to your exam and prioritize what's most important and get a new plan in place that covers that remaining time that can put you in the best position as you get to your exam. So we're going to finish up there for today. As I said, if you're interested in those exam masterclasses, but you're not currently a member, do look at upgrading your account and you'll have access to all previous masterclasses as well as any future live ones. And for members, make sure to look out for the weekly newsletter where we'll say what time the different masterclass sessions are happening next week. But from us, we'll talk to you again next week.